You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. What's up, everybody, and welcome to episode 115 of the Talking Chop Podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, and joining me for the first time in quite some time, too long, as always, Joe Lucia. What's up, man? Brad, thanks for having me. Appreciate it, buddy. Couldn't come at a better time, either. Yeah, it was uh, it was timed quite well. Uh, we're recording this on Sunday evening uh, on the heels of the Charlie Culberson explosion experience. Uh, two walk-off home runs in a week. Uh, kind of insane. Uh, basically, this entire weekend series against Washington, that was just storyline after storyline, both positively and negatively. But I guess we can start uh, with Sunday. Uh, you know, again, you know, I, I just mentioned it, but Culberson walks off on Sunday. The, the Braves have now walked off every single team in the NL East already, and it's what June the third, June, yeah, June third, right now. That's pretty insane. And now the Braves are now the second best record in the National League and a one and a half game lead over the Nats. Uh, how are we feeling, I guess? Let's just start there. None of this makes any sense, but the more it goes on, the more I'm starting to believe that it's not like they're winning every game by one run. I mean, they're putting in outings where they're just bludgeoning the crap out of teams. They're having games where they're just edging it out. They're having games where they have dominant pitching. It's These wins are coming in all kinds of varieties, and – when you're two months into the season and you're 11 games over 500 and in first place, I mean, you just kind of have to look at things and realize, okay, this this is legit. This is not just some flash in the pan. Two really great months out of the way, and things are looking really good so far. They really are, and you know, I've been uh, every every few days I tweet out uh, a smattering of the playoff odds from you know the leading the leading spots to do that kind of thing. And uh, today I was uh, I went to sort of gather some of this information. It's hard to do the full the full scale, uh, you know, sort of selection of all of these until the games are all over today. But as of right now, the Braves for the first time all season are now more likely on 5:38 to make the playoffs than they are to miss the playoffs. They're 51% to make the playoffs, and that, that may not seem like much, but they started the season I believe at like 4% or something like like that on fan gra- on uh, on 5:38. And, you know, famously, they were you know, like 175 to 1 to, to win the World Series. Now they're down to like 20 to 1 to win the World Series offshore at a couple other places. They're one of the top 10 teams in all of the offshore markets, et cetera. It doesn't mean much to a lot of people, but it just kind of tells you that people are starting to take the Braves pretty seriously. And, uh, you know, given that we've now seen two months, I mean, it's at, we're at the point where I'm not going to suddenly just, you know, tell you that they're a lock to make the playoffs. But at this point, I think I'm leaning in that direction too to the point where. I probably, if you maybe pick it right now, would say they're going to make it, which is a weird thing for me to say because that's that's kind of this is the first time I'm saying that out loud. I think too, it, it just sounds weird coming out of my mouth, but at the same time, I think I believe it. Yeah, and I mean the way I look at things, like the NL is not really 
having a great season. The West is terrible. The Central has three really good teams. The East has three really good teams. So it's not out of the realm of possibility that the Braves could just play like 500 ball the rest of the way and still get in as a wild card. Yeah, I mean, 500 ball the rest of the way essentially makes them finish with 86 or 87 wins, and that might be enough to get the second wild card spot. I mean, that's not out of the question at all. Um, and yeah, I mean, based on what we've seen so far, there's no reason to think that the Braves can't play 500 ball. I think there's, of course, the question is how much better they can be uh, over that kind of uh, lifespan. Um, but, you know, also, I mean, you know, Ronald Acuna has not been playing and Mike Soroka has been hurt and, you know, Luis, Luis Gohara has been coming back. There's every reason to think they actually could be not necessarily better than they have been so far, but they're getting some, re- some reinforcements pretty soon that could probably uh, – be instructive as to how they could probably keep this up a little bit more. We should say, since last time I recorded the podcast, uh, last Sunday evening we were still in hold-your-breath mode on Acuna, and that actually ended up working out pretty darn well. There has been a little bit of speculation from Mark Bowman that he could actually come back by the end of this next week. I wouldn't necessarily you know, hold your breath and bank on that, but at the same time, the fact that that's even possible is pretty crazy too because we were, you know, when we were recording last week, I was sort of in fear that he was, he was going to be out for a while and looks like you know, he, went, he went on the DL but could be back pretty soon, and that's a nice thing also. Yeah, and I'm not I'm obviously not thrilled that he's missing time, but he kind of needed some time off in my mind just because he he got off to that really hot start, but the last couple weeks he really hadn't been playing great. I think he might have been pressing a little bit. Now this will just give him a little more time to relax. The team got through the first week without him pretty well. Uh, with the schedule getting a little bit lighter in June, hopefully they can keep rolling along without him. Sure, it would be great to have him in the lineup because I think playing a team like the Padres six times would be enough to give him a little extra confidence. But without him there, I think they can still uh, – Still have a strong uh, couple of weeks without him. Then when he comes back in, he won't be the guy anymore. He won't be the center of attention, and maybe he'll just uh, turn around and play like he did the first couple of weeks when he came up. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned these next three games after uh, sort of they have a long flight, um, probably right now as we're talking on Sunday, uh, before they have to play San Diego on the road. For three, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, then an off day Thursday, and then the Dodgers, who are uh, Jekyll and Hyde so far this year, to put it mildly, over the weekend in Los Angeles. So uh, it's pretty pretty winnable games there as well. We should at least talk about Friday and Saturday because uh, Friday was the highest of the highs, and Saturday was very, very frustrating. But Saturday, Friday was the Mike fulton experience, uh, the first complete game shutout since June 2016 for the Braves. He was... Utterly fantastic, and uh, now his last five starts, he has a 0.56 ERA, which is uh, sort of video game-ish, and is, uh, for, for the season now, a 2.22 ERA for Fultonavich. Uh, first, what did you see on Friday, and second, I mean, I, I can't imagine this, I can't imagine a 2.22 ERA is real, but how real is all this with Fulton right now? Like we've always said about him, all the all the scouts and all the prospect gurus, when he was still in the Astros system, he has a stuff. If he can just put it together for a full season, stay healthy, limit the walks, he's a dude that can go out there and dominate. And we've seen flashes of that in the past, like uh, last year in Oakland when he took the no-hitter into the ninth. Uh, this weekend against the Nationals when he completely shut them down. He has shown potential that he could be a – top of the rotation ace and I think he's finally blossoming into that role he's limiting the walks he's striking out guys by the truckload 
he's getting deeper into games. Uh, he got into this. He got through seven against the Red Sox last week. Uh, obviously, through the complete game shutout against the Nationals, he's not you know just five and done anymore. And I think that's a that'll be huge for him going forward. If he can keep this up, it's uh, it's definitely going to be uh, something that we can kind of build on in the future with him and kind of put him in the rotation for the long haul and not having to have to worry about that spot in the rotation for the next few years. Yeah, and it hasn't been super fluky either. He has a 3.1 FIP, which is uh, obviously a little bit higher than the ERA, but still a very, very good number there. And, um, you know, all indications are he's been pretty real, at least recently. The walks are still a little bit higher than you want to see, almost four per nine. But uh, aside from that, I mean, and by the way, if he strikes out 10 plus guys per nine, you can live in the 3.8 walks per nine range. It's not great, but you can live there if you have all these strikeouts. And the way that he, I was really impressed with, with the way he approached, and especially with the way he finished on Friday night. Like he's, you know, he's been known to be a guy that isn't always great pitching, pitching through adversity uh, in the middle of a start. He sort of had a little bit of that in the eighth, and then suddenly just flipped the switch, and he was just absolutely dominant for the last, you know, four or five outs there, and uh, you know, throwing high 90s into the ninth inning of a complete game. Uh, that's the kind of start that will get you uh, having the vapors. Honestly, he was he was just fantastic, and it was like tough not to get really excited about what the future holds because, uh, I mean, obviously, in addition to him, you have all the young guys who haven't even arrived yet, and Sean Newcomb, who's been pretty awesome this year as well. So, I mean, yeah, Fulte himself, my guard's up a little bit more than I think than some of the fan base is, but at the same time, like he's now been a very very good starting pitcher for two months. Like he's already been basically worth a, a win and a half, and it's June. And it's early June. Like he's on pace for like a five-win season, and that's uh, pretty crazy to think about. And we've seen it with him before too. Like he'll get into these starts, and at the first sign of trouble, he absolutely falls apart, and his outing is over two or three batters later. That's really not happening to that extent this season, and I think they're kind of letting him work his way out of more jams and he's not melting under the pressure and that's just making him a more complete pitcher and allowing him to go out and just dominate the way he has. Yeah, like right now he's uh he's ninth in the National League in uh Fangraphs war for pitchers, uh which is pretty crazy. Um by the way, Sean Newcomb is 13th. Those guys uh two having having those two guys in the top 13 of uh, national pitchers uh, granted, it's it's arbitrary endpoint, etc., and it's always kind of interesting to break that stuff down, uh, you know, start for start. But those guys have been fantastic. Uh, before we get into a couple more players, I do want to ask you about Saturday. Uh, Saturday was, of course, the one hiccup over the weekend when the Braves won three or four uh, against the Nats. Uh, probably should have been a sweep, frankly, with the way that Saturday went. You know, part of the blame, of course, goes to the offense that just could not score for a long period of time. On Saturday, but of course there was the uh, controversial, we will say, uh, bullpen usage by Brian Snicker. We should at least talk about that briefly on the pod. I think you and I fall into the camp that uh, are not the biggest fans of Brian Snicker, and, and I've, I've actually tried to be pretty nice to him in general on the podcast this season because, of course, the Braves are having so much success, and I don't want to just make this the Brian Snicker uh, podcast. But uh, it was it was an ugly performance. Let's just say that. Yeah, it. It did not go well. I think that's kind of. Uh, I think that's the nicest thing to say about it. It was just a little, a little dragged out and just not, uh, not exactly the best usage. What really throws me is like Sokolovich is a guy who's kind of been on the Gwinnett shuttle this year. Like, why are you bringing him out of the bullpen at all when you still have two guys in there that are healthy? They're not hurt. And they just had a day off the night before. It does not make any sense to me to go with him when you have two far superior options just sitting there chilling, waiting. It, it's, 
absurd, but it's one loss in the grand scheme of things. They still took three out of four in the series. I can't get too upset about it, but it's just ridiculous that we see a guy like Sokolovich getting these relatively key innings and already getting moved on back on the shuttle when, I mean, if he was a guy that was been in the bullpen all season and had, you know, shown at least some kind of flashes, like I can't, if Moylan was the one who came in and gave up those runs at the end of the game, okay, fine. He's been up and down this year, but you know, he's been in the bullpen all year and he's, been largely productive to some extent. So, okay, sure, whatever. But when you have a guy that, I mean, he's only pitched in four games in the majors this year and has not pitched well, You when you go to him, when you still have two other guys left, it does, just doesn't make sense to me. Why are you doing this? I understand you want to limit workloads, but it it just does not compute in my mind. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I sort of understand going into a game and, and saying to yourself, you know, I don't want to use these two guys today. Um, at the same time, he never, he never said they were actually unavailable. Uh, in, in, in his post-game address, he definitely made mention of the fact that, that they didn't want to use them, but he didn't go as far as to say that they couldn't have used them. And, you know, especially, you know, I get, I get it with Dan Winkler. Dan Winkler has a history of, uh, has, a, has an injury history. He's been working a lot this season. I totally, I totally understand that. If, he were, if they wanted to keep him out of the game, I get that. Um, keeping two guys out of the game in the way that he did there on Saturday, if Vizcaino had pitched, I believe, three times in 17 days before that, um, throw, you know, that's just kind of weird to me. And if you knew you had your two, you know, maybe not your two best, but arguably two of your three best, Relief pitchers unavailable. Why would you take Brandon McCarthy out with eighty-four pitches? I, yeah, the McCarthy the McCarthy thing is actually what I'm looking at right now, and I actually think he probably could have gone another inning or so. But when you look at him this season, uh, he hasn't thrown a hundred pitches in any start. He's kind of been right around that mid eighty range when he's get when he's gotten pulled. Uh, on Saturday, he threw 84. Before that, 85, 83, 85, 85. He's been in that same area before they pull the plug on him. So that might be something that they're actually looking at with him. And he probably could have gone more. They could have extended him for one more inning, but they just didn't want to because they probably they probably didn't expect Juan Soto to immediately yeah. <laughs> hit a, ch- a relatively cheap homer off Sam Freeman, who despite that – kind of low ERA is really just not, not a guy that should yes. be one of these primary bullpen options. He's just not that good. And everyone should know this by now. He's the same guy he's always been. Yeah. He, he's, he's just a guy. It is what it is like, but I'm with you. I don't, I don't, I don't think it was egregious that they, that they took out McCarthy. And I will say like, I don't have a problem with that in a vacuum until, I mean, and I tweeted this during the, during the blow up. Um, I, you know, I, I sort of predicted that, you know, he's going to come in, he's going to come out and say that those two guys weren't available because otherwise it makes no sense. He didn't really say that. And of course, this kind of pitches the next day and Winkler and it's, yeah, it's, um, it's important not to make too much of one game. I just think it's sort of, um, indicative of what the Brian experience, the Brian sticker experience can be. And I, I know there's a, a vocal portion of the fan base right now that thinks you just can't criticize him because the team's been good this season. Uh, I, I get it. I understand the Braves are performing well, and you know he's he's a well liked guy. He's very very good with players. Players seem to like to play for him and want to go to bat for him. 
Um, we've seen that in the past. I think that's probably the only reason why he has a job right now is because players are not a bat for him, headlined by Freddie Freeman. But at the same time, he doesn't get to be credited with all of this success. Like, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, he's a part of it. I get it. He's the manager. But I'm, for instance, like a couple of the replies that I got over the weekend when I was criticizing Thicker were, you know, well, the team's really good and all that stuff. I'm like, okay, I understand that the team is playing well. I don't. I will not go as far as to credit Brian Sticker with that. I will say that he's a part of it because he is a part of it. But it doesn't give him a pass to not be criticized when he does things that are, you know, pretty plainly silly, in my opinion. It's not the first time, obviously. You know, there's, there's, there's plenty of things that you can pick apart Brian Sticker for. And again, I've, I've tried not to do it a ton this year, by at least by my standard, because they have played well and he should be credited with some of that. But it's just tough for me. Like I, I've been sort of tongue in cheek saying that he's going to win Manager of the Year, and I think if they make the playoffs, he probably will, which is going to make me laugh. And that's part of that's just because that's what the manager of the year criteria is. And you cover the whole league. You well, you well know this. It's, it's often given to the guy who overachieves with the roster. And I think if, if, if the Braves were to make the playoffs this season, people are going to think that's an overachievement. And as a result of that, they're going to give it to Brian Snicker. I get that. At the same time, I you know he's, he's going to be the same guy he's always been. That's kind of where I am. He's, he's, he's not changing. He's not better this year than he was in the past. He's just the same manager he's always been. And the team, has, the team happens to be playing better. Yeah, I mean, for the record, I would probably go with Craig Council over him because Council's just been fantastic with Milwaukee, but that's beside the point now that you're near there. But when you look at what's happened with Snitchker this season, like, I mean, he's the same guy as he always has been. You can't point at, like, certain things he's doing or certain buttons he's pushing that are, like, key to the team's success or whatever. He's rolling out the same general lineup in the same general order. He's not making many significant tweaks. It's not like there he's a master class in managing or whatever. He's just doing a good job, not steering the ship into the rocks, which don't get me wrong. That is a, a fantastic thing to have <laughs> in a manager, but he's not this like demigod, fantastic manager having an amazing year. He just hasn't screwed anything up. And I will also give him some credit for not kind of not really pulling the string on some guys in cold streaks. Like Acuna has been run out there every day. NCRK has been terrible this year, yet he's still getting in the lineup every day and given every chance to turn it around. We saw with uh, Bobby Cox and Freddie Gonzalez, they would uh, they would kind of not have that kind of higher level of tolerance for young players that are struggling or not playing well. And Snitker has shown um, – grudgingly admitting he has shown kind of a loyalty to these guys and uh, trying to get them to kind of mature and play well and play consistent. And I guess I'll take my hat off to him for that because that's probably the nicest thing I can say about him. Yeah. And uh, you know, I got a little bit worried about that last year with the way he handled Danby, for instance, a couple of times, but I do think um, he should be credited for that as well as the fact that, you know, by all accounts, he's been buying in more to the, um, analytics and what, what Anthopolis and his staff are selling. I will say that as well. Like, you know, there's, there's a limit to that because he still does things pretty regularly that go, uh, that fly in the face of data. But he has certainly bought in more and has been credited with that by the front office and by, you know, with people that are more plugged in than I am around there. I think he is certainly um, buying in more, which is good. And I think you want to see that. I, I do think he might have improved a little bit um, since his early days. I think he's never, at this point, I'll be surprised if he's ever better than a, slightly below average tactical manager but if you if you have that kind of guy with all of the players manager stuff that he's praised for you know it's passable it, it is kind of as what it is and listen 
you know, for all the Bobby Cox love, and there was, it, it, will, it will never end, Bobby was never this great tactical manager. And everybody, you know, people know that now, I think. But during the time, there wasn't nearly as much of that because they were winning. And it, when a team wins, it's going to paper over the manager specifically. And, you know, it's not like Bobby was this wizard of, uh, of, all, of all things uh, analytics and did all the right things math-wise. It, uh, it, it was often a roller coaster ride and that you could even recognize, even when uh, I know I was very, very young during much of the Bobby era, but even then, by the time I was sort of getting into high school, college, it was like, Bobby's not that good of a tactical manager. But you couldn't say that because it was Bobby Cox. Oh, yeah. Bobby Cox was a fantastic leader of men. Probably not the best actual tactical manager. You look at what some of the other managers in his time did, and he just – on the field, he just could not compare. It was almost kind of silly at points when he would just sit there in the dugout and clap and lean and not actually do anything to make him seem like this amazing manager. Don't get me wrong. All time, great manager. But tactically, he wasn't some kind of Svenjali on another level. <laughs> and that's what you're banking on with Brian Snicker. If you're a Brian Snicker fan, you are placing a ton of stock in the intangibles and the off-field stuff. And I'll be the first to say it's impossible to quantify that stuff. So, you know, if the team's going to win and you can credit him for that, I totally understand. Um, at the same time, it's also fair to point out when he messes up. Uh, in game things that are pretty clear and obvious, you know, bullpen management. I I didn't watch uh, live on Sunday, so I could uh, I could not tell you this firsthand. But I saw on Twitter that I guess the broadcast was discussing and sort of playing into the fact that you know that fans are incapable of knowing how to manage a bullpen. There, there's some of that. Um, at the same time, I do think there's some there's some things that are. Uh, very, very obvious that he's not done well, that I think people that are dialed in on the level of you and I can see that he's not doing well. And, you know, again, it's kind of a never-ending cycle, especially if, if the team keeps winning, it's never going to matter, and he's going to still be there. Because, you know, I thought I thought this year, for instance, if they had a, if they had a rough start, he might be uh, in some trouble job-wise because, you know, the GM didn't hire him, and he's on this weird contract. But now that they're winning, like, he's not going to go anywhere. So it's, it's probably time to settle in on Brian Sicker at this point. Yeah, and you mentioned the bullpen management. And I will give him credit for kind of realizing that some pitchers were better and more capable than others. Like at the beginning of the season, Winkler and Carl were just kind of relegated to like that fifth or sixth inning duty. And now, even with Carl's more recent struggles, those two guys are getting like key roles in like the seventh and eighth to kind of shut the door and be those kind of lockdown guys when they weren't really expected to do that at all. Someone like Jesse Biddle, too, also. No one expected anything of him this season, and he's kind of stepped into a, uh, a more prominent role. And uh, Minter and Moylan, who have kind of been disappointing, they've they've been kind of limited, which uh, you might not expect given the reputation that Minter had coming up and Moylan's like history with the team and his status as a fan favorite and so on and so forth. I kind of would have expected him to uh, – kind of get a longer rope and be kind of put in more of those key roles like he was all those years ago. But you're really not seeing that now, which I'll give credit to Snicker for that as well. Yep, he's been better uh, for sure in that. And uh, you know, especially, the as you mentioned, the Winkler development now that it's pretty clear that he's – if not the best, if not the best reliever, uh, he's on the very, very short list. I think uh, uh, credit him to him for f- sort of figuring that out early on in this season. Uh, all right, we can move on from there. I do want to ask you about uh, two guys before we get into a little bit of all-star talk because 
um, you know, frankly, you cover the whole league. It's a big picture thing. And because, you know, the voting is out, I want to, I want to do a little, bit of, a, a little bit of that. But before we get to that, uh, two guys who are not going to be in the All-Star discussion this year, one of which is Dansby Swanson. The other one is Ender Enciarte. These guys have been very, very popular internet fodder the last few weeks, especially. Dansby had a home run uh, today on Sunday. It was very nice. He's been a couple of uh, big clutch homers. But on the whole, his numbers are not overwhelming at the plate right now. Um, but he's still playing, actually, very good defense this season. And then you have Ender. Um, Ender is not hitting at all. Hasn't really been hitting all season long. But there's the whole leadoff thing. And I feel like I've said everything that I could possibly say on it. But I wanted to at least get your thoughts on where you are with, the, with those two guys, specifically with Dansby, like what he is moving forward and with Ender sort of just calibrating expectations for the fan base because people just can't seem to always understand that he's sort of a limited bat right now. Yeah, I mean, the Dansby thing really worries me because he's striking out nearly 30% of the time. He's he's actually hitting for a decent bit of power, but he's not really walking all that much. Low average. It's, it's really worrying, but the whole skill set really kind of makes him a league average player. And unless a guy steps up with kind of like that superstar ability at shortstop, there's no reason not to run him out there every day because you're not going to start Charlie Culperson every day at short. You're not going to uh, move Albies back to short and start somebody else at second. You're not going to give Ryan Flaherty playing time over him with Camargo shifting to one of the positions up the middle. Don't get me wrong, it's been a disappointing year for Dansby in almost every way, but the fact that he's still coming out there and kind of like showing that he's not this like sub-replacement level guy like he was last year, I think I think that's an overall step forward, especially with the hot start he got off to. He didn't really kind of let it dwell on him and let it linger, and he just he's not going to reach that kind of ceiling you might expect from a number one overall pick, but he's playing every day and he's contributing and he's not completely terrible. So that's really as best as you could expect for him. And as for Enciarte, it's, it's really rough with him because in recent years, like a lot of his success was been driven by a, higher than expected batting average because higher Babbitt, more balls in play, uh, higher average, more runs, so on and so forth. I mean, this year, like walk rate, strikeout rate, ISO, they're all in line with what we expected over the last three or four seasons from him. It's just the Babbitt has dropped and it just hasn't gone well for him. If, if rounds in the second half of the season and I could, I could definitely see him finish with an average of like 280 and a stat line a little worse than what we've expected over the last few years but you kind of have to look at him and look past all the hits and realize you know there weren't a lot of homers despite his speed there really weren't a lot of triples he wasn't a big doubles guy he's a really good singles hitter and the singles just are not getting through right now I assume they will eventually, but right now they're not. And it really kind of lends itself to this middling overall performance that's just a huge disappointment after he kind of broke out in a big way last year. Yeah, he, uh, Ender's a very tr- tricky player to evaluate, especially because he's a perfect example of a player that's going to be overrated by people that don't care about analytics. And people and pro, and underrated. I mean, and uh, pro, I don't know, maybe underrated by people that do. I'm not. It's one of those things where you see like you know 200 hits last year in all capital letters, and it's like, well, how many of those were singles? Number one, he doesn't really walk, and doesn't really have any power. And yeah, if you have 200 hits, 
that gives you a pretty high baseline. And last year he was pretty good at the plate. I mean, he was he was an average or maybe a slightly below average player offensively. That's that's a valuable player. Obviously, with his defense at a premium position in center field, that, that's a nice package. And he was obviously treated accordingly by the WAR stats and all the sort of overarching things. But in the same breath, like he has to have that many hits to be a positive offensive contributor because he doesn't walk and he doesn't have any power. And of course, now he's been hitting leadoff for a while, which is a whole other discussion that we could have or not have, depending on how we feel. But I don't know. It's I've always defended Ender to people in the analytics community who don't like him at all. And then I've also kind of defended myself against people that just seem to think he's this awesome offensive player because he hit for a high average the last couple of years. So it's in the middle somewhere. I think if you just expect him to be a league average offensive player, that's probably what he's going to be. This year he hasn't been that. He's been pretty below average. I think he's he entered today with like a 78 WRC plus, which is pretty bad for a guy who's hitting at the top of the lineup. Um, but if, if he bounces back into that 95, maybe to, maybe up to 100 range, that's the kind of guy who shouldn't be hitting leadoff for you, but is a fine offensive player. And then if you throw in his defense, he's a very good defender, and that really helps his overall value. So. I don't know. I think it's been easier this year to get away with sort of coming after NCR Taylor a little bit the way the way that the way that I have because he hasn't been posting the batting average. But just wait if he starts hitting uh, for a higher bat bip and starts hitting 300 again, people are going to think he's this awesome offensive player again. And it's going to be a really a really fun conversation as always. Yeah, I mean he don't get me wrong. He's he's overrated, but he's still a great player that is extremely valuable, especially on his contract. He doesn't get paid. Yep. More than eight million to the last year of his deal in 2021, which is like not even a two-win player, which he can probably get. He can get in his sleep with his defense. And when you look at him, I mean, he plays every day. He he had 700 some plate appearances last year, which is insane. He's not going to be out of the lineup every day. It's not like he's Juan Pierre out there. He's he provides more value than that. He's not just a slap hitter, but. The way you some people talk about him, I agree. It's kind of like he's this second coming of like <laughs> uh, I, don't, I don't even know who to compare him to. It's just a very uh, it's very weird how he ends up getting all of this love, but he's still great. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, Ender's is still a good player, and his bad buff is actually pretty like comically low this year. I think it's two eighty or so, which is he's going to be above that with with his speed. By the way, he's leading the National League in stolen bases at 18 coming into today. So, um, you know, there's some value in that as well. He's fast and plays good defense and is still a nice player. Even even with the struggles at the plate this year, he's uh, edging towards 1-1 of replacement, and it's, you know, as we mentioned before, June 3rd. So still on pace for, you know, almost three wins this season. That's a very nice player on a cheap contract. Uh, all right, let's go. Let's talk about all-star stuff a little bit. That allows us to talk about the high-end high players. Let's just start with Freddie Freeman, who is – Appears to be a lock, frankly. Uh, coming into Sunday, he was leading the, the league, uh, sorry, leading the National League in uh, Fangraph's war. He was second in Baseball Reference war. Um, he's obviously a tremendous player. There isn't, a whole, there isn't a whole lot to say about Freddie other than the fact that it would be comical if he doesn't make the All-Star team. Yeah, I mean, what he's doing this year is kind of what he was doing last year before he got hurt. It's just this incredibly consistent performance. And the weird thing is, like, the power's not there. He's only got nine homers this year, so he's not cranked them out kind of like we expected. The power level is kind of like it was back in uh, kind of when he came up, when he was uh, struggling a little bit to put the ball over the fence. But, oh, man, he's hitting for average like he never has before. He's 
He's walking at a career-high rate as well. He's cut the strikeouts. He is really just turning into so much better of a player than I ever thought he would be. And the National League crop of first baseman is really not great this year. Anthony Rizzo having a down year. Uh, Paul Goldschmidt having a really down year. And uh, I think Freeman is definitely going to get in. Probably not as a starter just because of like the Cubs effect with a guy like Rizzo and uh, Brandon Belt also having a fantastic year. And Giants fans love to stuff the ballot, but I yes, do they think do. he's going to be one of the uh, he's going to be one of the three first basemen in the uh, All Star game. I think. Yeah, that's uh, he's the easy one to discuss. I do think Freddie's going to get underrated by the voting, which is weird, but I think he's uh, he should be there pretty comfortably. I would argue, honestly, I mean, maybe I'm crazy here. I think he's the best hitter in the National League. Full stop. I guess you could argue you could argue for a couple of other guys, but I think if I had to pick one guy to go to bat, go to bat with in the National League, I'd pick Freeman. Would you disagree? Is there somebody else that you would take over him? Because I think I know it's close with a couple of guys, but I think Freeman really is the best hitter in the National League, which is crazy. I mean, it's one of those things that really goes based on year or what you're looking at. But I, I wouldn't exactly argue with that just because of the consistency with which he's done it year after year. He is out there just smashing the crap out of the ball and you see guys like Goldschmidt falling off a little bit uh Votto has his ups and downs and Freeman is just continually excellent we're gonna get that drop eventually but until we do I mean you you can't discount him yeah, he's 28 and uh, right in the middle of his prime, and he's playing like it, to be sure. Uh, okay, so that's an, that's an easy one. Let's go over to pitchers right now. We talked a little bit about Fulte earlier. Um, there's also Sean Newcomb and uh, maybe Dan Winkler sneaky out there. Anybody else in consideration? I, mean, I, I don't really think anybody else is necessarily right there, but do you think those guys have a chance, or as of now, would they be on any of your teams? Because I think, especially after Fulte's last start, he start, he's sort of uh, you know theoretically stuffing the box because of how good he was in his last start, but you know everything counts in those uh, in those races. Yeah, I mean when you look at pitchers. Uh, Pitchers more than any position with the all-star game, it's a shell game based on the teams like the Marlins and the Padres and like the Pirates and the Reds that are really not good. And you can find like one good pitcher from those teams to throw on at the expense of another similarly uh, deserving pitcher from one of the better teams in the league. I I think with the Braves right now, the floor is two all-stars and the absolute ceiling, if everything breaks right, could be like seven. And I think (laughs) we, I I know it sounds crazy. No, I think you're right. I think you're right. But when you look at guys like Winkler is one, two, four, Fifth in the NL among relievers in pitcher war, ERA under one, huge K rate. I mean, it it works on paper. He doesn't have the incredible save total, but hey, neither does a guy like Josh Hader. Neither does a guy like Adam Adovino in Colorado. These are guys that are like having really great seasons as middle relievers, but they just don't have that one stat that kind of people – I've always looked at and associated with all-stars. And as for the, t- the two starting pitchers you mentioned, I mean, of course, Newcomb and Fulte are having fantastic years, top 15 pitchers in the National League. But again, it kind of depends on the shell game. I think the only three real locks among pitchers in the NL barring injuries are Scherzer, DeGrom, and Nola. But we'll go from there based on what happens with everyone else. And if 
random teams need representatives and so on and so forth. But Fulte and Newcomb have definitely put themselves in the conversation this year. Yeah, I think, you know, if everything ended today, you probably would sneak Fulte on because he's, you know, he's top five in ERA. That's usually a pretty good recipe for getting on the team. Um, but, you know, it's going to be flexible in the next couple of weeks. I do think with Winkler, I could make a real argument. I think you just did it about him making the team. But he'll be one of the first guys to not make it if you have that the aforementioned shell game that you're discussing, like, you know, without the saves, uh, which, you know, for better or worse, people that are going to vote on this do care about. Um, I do think he's going to be... Probably the first to get squeezed out there, but I, you know, I, I'm expecting, you know, if if ever if everything holds stat wise um, from Fulte and Newcomb, one of those guys, if not both, is going to make it, and then you know, obviously Freeman's going to be there, pretty much, no doubt about it. Um, I mean, let's talk about the rest of the position players. You have Marcakis, who's been obviously fantastic. You have Albies. That's probably it in terms of actual candidates. Maybe uh, I would also maybe throw in a vote for Kurt Suzuki just based yeah. on the state of catching across the league. It is pretty but ugly. I, I, sh- I should have said that because it's uh, catching is so bad. <laughs> it it really is, and even that, like I didn't expect him to be like the everyday starting catcher this year, but hey, sure enough, he is. And like Yadi Molina's hurt. Uh, Posey has kind of struggled by his standards. Contreras hasn't been incredible. Grandal's been fine. So, I mean, you're not picking from this huge crop of guys. And I think he could end up sneaking on the team. I'm not saying it's a lock. He'd have but to get I'm hot, saying. I think. He's also, he's also playing less now because Flowers is back. So, like, those guys are pretty much splitting it for the most part, which is it's still fine, honestly, because of how bad the catch situation is. But I think you'd have to have a Suzuki month where he's just out of his mind for him to get on over these guys who are just going to play more than he does. He is seventh among all NL catchers in F WAR, so maybe not, not as uh, not as high as I necessarily expected. And then you look at a couple of catchers ahead of him from the Pirates and Marlins, who uh, and Posey is going to be gonna need a token guy. I mean, Posey is going to start, and we all know that. So, like, Posey is going to get voted in, um, and he, he's obviously been he's still I mean he's still a really good player. He's just not quite as good as he used to be. Um, but between, I guess between Posey and Wilson Contreras, th- th- those are those are your two starting options based on those fan bases voting. Um, so you're really just talking about what uh, they're going to. How many do they carry? Usually three catchers. Yeah, usually three. So it's either Cervelli or Real Muto for the Pirates or Marlins, and I cannot think of like one other good All Star from either of those teams, or a guy like Suzuki or Jorge Alfaro is having a good year for the Phillies. Grandal's having a good year for the Dodgers. He's going to be on the outside looking in, but I think he's at least a guy who is in the conversation. Do you? Uh, yeah, I agree. Do, do you think, you know, based on what we've seen so far, Marquez and Albies, they seem like they're probably going to be there as of right now. You know, Albies has a weird, a really weird profile. Like he's not been on base very much. He entered today with a three eleven OBP for the season, but he has he has a uh, slugging over five hundred still, and he leads the league of plate appearances, fourteen homers. You know, plus defense. I think he still would probably be on the team right now. And the Marquez has obviously just been fantastic for the entire season for the most part. So, do those guys feel safe to you? Obviously, there's still more time for them to go into a slump if they had to uh, sort of fall out. But uh, if, the, if the team was today, I think they're probably both on it. Yeah, I think Albies is kind of. I'm, I wouldn't want to say a lot. It's close, though. Think, yeah. I think he's going to kind of roll his way in, especially because. The NL crop is second baseman. I wrote an article a month ago about wondering if he was the already the best second baseman in the National League, and the only real comparison is Javi Baez. The NL crop of second baseman is so bad. You're looking at guys like Scooter Jeanette and Azurbal Cabrera, who really are not guys you would put in that conversation. 
and DJ, DJ LeMay, who, who's been an all-star recently, he has uh, missed time this year and has not really kind of been a guy who I would expect to be really put in the all-star game voting. So I think Albies will be one of the two or three guys that goes in. And as for Mark Hakus, I think this year – will be the year that he gets in just because that like that narrative of he's never made the all-star game has really been kind of been beaten down our throats this year, especially with the 3000 hit stuff and he's playing real well. It's the last year of his contract. The narrative is just kind of really appearing to me that he's going to end up finally making the all-star team just to kind of put an end to this and make everybody happy and put a little bow on the story. Yeah, I'm totally with and you. He des- and he deserves it. Too. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, All he's right. been so good that like, I wouldn't argue at this point in time. Like, I think it's going to come, uh, maybe not crashing down. I think, I think it's going to, he's going to cool off. You've already seen a little bit of that. Um, I think he's not going to be a 150 WRC plus guy for the rest of the season. That just seems kind of crazy to me. Um, but at the same time, he's done so much over the last two months that I think he's going to get in and, and deservedly so. Um, and he's a relatively big name, even though it's been, uh, you know, three years of mediocrity in Atlanta. People still remember him from Baltimore, and he's uh, he's a big enough name. He's been so good. And the by the way, it helps these guys. It helps all these guys that the Braves are good. For better or worse, like all star voting yeah. does matter when it comes to. I mean, team stuff does matter for to, for the voting, uh, both in public voting and with you know and with people around the league. Like uh, t- they're, they're going to want to reward uh, guys from a team that's actually playing well. Yeah, I mean, you look and you look at like the rest of the crop of NL outfielders, and no one is really standing out from the pack too much compared to the American League, where you have Trout and Betts and Judge and Martinez and Stanton. You have all these guys <laughs> in the NL. It's kind of like the leader in war among NL outfielders is AJ Pollock, who's hurt yet again. And then you have Lorenzo Kane, and then you have uh, Brandon Nimmo and Nick Markakis. And that is, is and that's wholly kind underwhelming. Of insane. <laughs> I mean, Matt Kemp is a top like ten outfielder in the National League right now. How sad does that make you? Yeah, I mean, I mean really, the only reason the Dodgers are not completely buried is because Matt Kemp is hitting his weight. Matt Kemp, Matt, Max Muncy, and uh, yeah, there's a couple of other. I mean, the Dodgers have been uh, with, with their 200 plus million dollar payroll have been saved by a bunch of guys who you would not expect to be saving them this year. But yeah, we, we digress a little bit. But I, I think you know, and just in um, in in short here, I think Freeman and Albies are the guys you can sort of project onto the roster. And I think Marquecas is pretty close. Those three guys, I mean, it would surprise me if they didn't get in. And then I think maybe one, I think one pitcher, I mean, maybe, maybe you, you might get more than that, but I think w- one of the Fulte, Newcomb, uh, maybe Winkler trio gets in. So I think you're looking at four all-stars projection wise. Yeah. I, I could see four. That sounds like a good number to me. And, when was the last time the Braves even had that many All Stars? It's been I think a while. Have, I think you have to go back to at least 2013. I mean, it's it's really been a while. Like, I mean, obviously you had, you had Ender recently and Freddie, but that would have been it. Um, I'm looking at it now. Okay, All Star players. I should look something for the podcast, but this is this is good content. Um, last year was last year was just Ender. The year before that was just uh, Julio. 2015, Shelby Miller by himself. 2014. Freddie, Craig Kimbrell, and Julio. So they had three in 2014 and three in 2013 with Freddie, Kimbrell, and Brian McCann. 
Last time they had four was 2012. Dan Ugla, Michael Bourne, Chipper Jones, and Craig Kimbrell. Well, that makes me sad. And then 2011, they had five. It was Brian McCann, Chipper Jones, Jire Jurgens, the God, Craig Kimbrell, and Johnny Venters in 2011. So Man. they have Johnny a chance. At, they have taller. a chance at five, by the way. Like I, I'm, I wouldn't project that, but they have. They actually have a legitimate chance to get five All Stars, which is yeah. There's there's like a non-zero chance of that happening, which I don't think anyone would have expected coming in this year. And I mean, at the end of the day, this literally like does not matter. It does at not. All. But it's fun to talk about. This is not <laughs> a thing that like people should care about. But it's still pretty awesome that the organization is in. A rough few seasons. Yeah, it's fun to talk about at the very yeah. least, and we can uh, spend less time talking about um, you know Dustin Peterson coming up and down for three days and stuff like that. If we can have big picture success, that that made me mad. By the way, uh, we we didn't we didn't mention that, but uh, I'm not really sure what that whole thing was about earlier this week. <laughs> well, I think it was because they couldn't bring up yeah, boards because they had like just released him and whatever but they, they, had, to, they had to wait the full month on situation. peter borges yeah i mean it was just weird to me that they call up peterson and not play him uh in favor of the uh, in favor of the god charlie culberson but listen charlie's got two walk-offs in a week to come full circle i have uh, said plenty of mean things about charlie culberson the hitter and he's still a bad hitter but he had a great week so yeah i mean it goes to a situation where you have to like you have to pick your battles, and in the grand scheme of things, this isn't the biggest deal in the world. No, this is not the biggest deal in the world, and uh, the Braves are playing as well as they have this year. It will not be uh, not behoove me to uh, pick that battle right now. All right, before I let you get out of here, man, tell me I got I got to get you on the record as what you think is going to happen the rest of the way. I plan to have you again, but it might be a little bit here. So please tell me where you think this Braves team is going to finish, knowing that I know you're gauging the whole league more than most people are at this point in time. So where you see them landing uh, when we get to September or October? I actually think they're going to end up winning a wild card. I can't believe I'm saying that, but I think they're going to win a wild card just because, I mean, of course, the Nationals are loaded and so good and they're starting to get healthy. And I think they're going to have just too much when all is said and done. But because the rest of the league is so disappointing and the Braves have already banked all these wins and they have such a weak schedule going forward in June, I think the Braves are going to end up stumbling into one of the five best records in the league and will be playing at least one game in the postseason. I I cannot believe I'm saying this, but I think that's what's going to happen. Yeah, I'm not mentally prepared for another one-game wild card. I I don't think ever in my life, but I'll have to get prepared, I think, because I think I'm sort of with you. I, I, of course, though, have a week-to-week ability to change my mind on this podcast. But, yeah, I think I'm uh, leaning in the same direction as you and uh, very optimistic at this point, uh, at least by my standards. Uh, All right, man. Well, thank you for joining me as always. Please plug uh, the various websites that you edit and contribute to and all that fun stuff. Please tell people where they can find your stuff. Well, first off, thanks for having me. It was was a blast to actually talk about a Braves team that is not super depressing. It is nice. (laughs) And and the week of the MLB draft to focus on the actual games instead of the draft itself and which which prospect we'd be banking on for the future. But uh, you can follow me on the Twitters at Joe underscore TOC. And I am the editor of awfulannouncing.com, thecomeback.com, lots of – fun baseball and other sports content up there. So, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's been a good time watching baseball and actually being able to like focus on the here and now it's been a blast. Yeah, I am not, um, qualified to talk about the draft very much. And we, I should say, uh, and plug our, uh, our content on the, uh, 
on TalkingChop.com. We're doing a lot of draft stuff this week. I, I promise we'll talk about some draft next week on the podcast because I've avoided it almost completely to this point. I know it still matters, and uh, please check that stuff out. By the way, old friend of the program, Carlos Colazzo, will be on MLB Network this week as a guest analyst on the draft, which is wild to say out loud. I love Carlos. That's my guy. Um, so follow him there and watch him. And I promise we'll talk about the draft at some point. If you were wondering why we didn't this week, it's because I don't know anything about anybody. That's where we All are. I know about the draft is that like literally every mock draft I have seen has the Braves drafting a third baseman named Nolan Gorman. I think it's like five or six mock drafts going yes. back like a month has him going to the Braves. So that's my bold prediction. The Braves will draft Nolan Gorman. <laughs> I, I love you. Uh, I can't tell you in. anything about Nolan Gorman, but I can tell you that I think that's going to happen. Yeah, I've only got what mocks tell me and what Carlos tells me and what Eric Cole tells me, um, and I trust those guys. But uh, you know, I will spend a little bit of time this week uh, familiarizing, familiarizing myself with whoever the Braves actually draft. But in advance of the draft, I just don't have time in my day to. Uh, I don't want to say I don't care. I just don't have the I don't have the bandwidth to like go scout um, high school or college kids. I just don't have it. So that's why we're not talking about it. And I promise we'll do a little bit with a smart with a, with a smart person of some sort next week. Uh, but until then. Uh, thank you, Joe, again, man. I appreciate it, as always. Thank you for having me, Brad. Really appreciate it, buddy. As for everybody else, we'll be back again next week. Stay tuned for that. And subscribe to the podcast. Do all that fun stuff. Uh, check out check out everything on TalkingChop.com. We'll see you guys in a few days. Support for this show comes from Wix Studio. Designers and devs, you might be able to do your thing better on Wix Studio, a web platform with everything you need to deliver bespoke sites hyper-efficiently. Design teams get a ton of smart features that can take the grind out of web creation without it costing per-pixel control. Dev teams, you get a zero-setup, developer-first environment, combined with an AI code assistant and your preferred IDE for rapid deployment. Search Wix Studio today to explore the full range of features. Support for this show comes from Vanta. Dealing with loads of spreadsheets, juggling different tools, and having to do manual security checks, it can be a headache to keep up with today's compliance and security programs. Vanta is the trust management platform that wants to simplify things and bring all your trust-building efforts under one roof, making growth smoother for your whole organization. Vanta lets you automate up to 90% of compliance for SOC 2, ISO 27001, HIPAA, and more. Strengthen security posture and reduce third-party risk. Get $1,000 off Vanta when you go to vanta.com slash vox. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash vox for $1,000 off Vanta.